Welcome to another Sunday morning Salvation by Grace message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly in Smyrna, Tennessee. Grab your Bible and join the congregation of GCA along with our teaching pastor, Jim McClarty. robber. Will a man rob God? You have God's money in your wallet right now, and you have refused to give it to him. And that makes you a thief and a robber. You'll say to me, how am I robbing God? You are robbing God in your tithes and offerings. As a consequence, God will not rebuke the devourer for your sake. As a result, your life is going to become increasingly more difficult. And don't be surprised if you lose your job, lose your house, and end up on Skid Row somewhere. That's what you deserve for robbing God. You know that's not me, right? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times, though, I have heard that message. See if this sounds familiar, Tom. If you're not tithing regularly, if you're not giving first fruit offerings, which means the first paycheck of every year, 
If you're not giving alabaster box offerings, taking the best of what you have and giving it to the ministry for the sake of the glory of God, then I doubt that you're even saved because if you can't trust God with your money, then you don't really trust God. That was, that was the message. That was the pitch. And then out came the buckets that were passed around the congregation to take up the offering after that amount of guilt had been put on you. That's why when we began GCA all those years ago, I never wanted to be accused or thought of the way that Tom and I came away thinking of the man who said those things. Because he put us under guilt and compulsion and threats in order to get money out of us. And the main thing that he would always stomp about was tithing. That regular 10%. And then when you thought you had done well with your 10%, he would emphasize tithes. He would emphasize the Z-S sound at the end of it. Tithes. Because he would say there's more than one tithe in the Old Testament. If you're only giving 10%, you haven't begun to tithe yet. And you are still under the curse of God. You really owe God something like 28% to 32% of everything you make. And that's before your offerings. Where would he get such a thought? Turn to Malachi every Preacher I've ever known who taught tithing used this as his source verse. So you might as well know it's in the Bible. Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. If you can't find it, find the book of Matthew and go back one book. Malachi, the very end of the Old Testament, a book that closes the Old Testament with the word curse. It doesn't even end on a high note. In Malachi 3, starting at verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? And yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me. The whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this. Says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And pour out for you a blessing. Until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. 
Boy, wouldn't you like for God to rebuke the devourer for your sake? Wouldn't you like to have God open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't contain until it's overflowing? Well, then hurry up and get your tithes into the storehouse and somehow, mysteriously, the church becomes the storehouse. Now, we're going to examine that this morning. And the first thing you need to know is what I've already emphasized. That phrase comes out of the last book of the Old Testament, making it part of the Old Covenant. And you and I are not under the Old Covenant. How do I know that? Because pretty much everybody in the room is Gentile. And none of us Gentiles were at the foot of Mount Sinai. None of us Gentiles were part of national Israel when they stood at Mount Sinai and received the law. Moses went up and brought the Ten Commandments down to Israel, and the Ten Commandments are called the words of a covenant that are on the tables of the covenant that are put into a box called the Ark of the Covenant because God was establishing a covenant with Israel that day. And he was forming them as a nation that day. And the 613 laws and rules and ordinances that he laid out were rules for them to behave as a theocracy so that they would have God as their king, God as their ruler, and they would act according to the law of God. None of that describes the church. The church is under the new covenant. Now, here at GCA, we have put a lot of emphasis through the years on the new covenant and on the newness of the new covenant. And in fact, when you read about the new covenant, the new covenant stands in contrast to the old covenant. When you read the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, it's repeated in Hebrews 8. It is the longest verbatim Old Testament quote imported into the New Testament. And none of the languages changed. It is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then God is very specific in saying that this new covenant will not be like the covenant he made with them when he took them out of the land of Egypt, though he was a husband to them. There had to be a new covenant because the old covenant was insufficient to save anybody. The reason that the new covenant is recited in the book of Hebrews is because a Hebrew writing to Hebrews is explaining to them that the new covenant is superior in every way to the old covenant. It's not a rubber stamp of the old covenant. It's not a reciting of the old covenant. It is qualitatively new. It is a new covenant, not like the old covenant, because the old covenant could not save anybody, could not remove sin. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats was insufficient to actually fully redeem human beings. And so the new covenant was made on better blood and a better sacrifice because it had a better high priest and it had better promises and everything about it was better than the old covenant. The old covenant stood in place to prove that everybody was sinful. 
that even if people had access to the rules of God, the thinking of God, the character of God, if God himself came down and said, this is what it would look like if you were to behave righteously and holy, still people could not do it. That was the whole point, the whole purpose of the old covenant. It didn't save anybody. The writer of Hebrews tells us the blood of bulls and the blood of goats never saved anybody. It never washed away sin. His evidence that it never washed away sin was that they kept doing it. Year after year after year, they had to keep coming back and the blood had to flow every year. They had to sacrifice every year. Proof, therefore, that none of those sacrifices finally expiated sin once and for all because they had to keep coming back and doing it. But this Christ... When he gave his life for his people, he sacrificed himself once, one time. And then he rose to the right hand of the Father, and he sat down because the work that he had come to do was finished. And he established the new covenant. At the Lord's Supper, when he picked up the, the cup of wine, he said, This is the wine, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant in my blood. So it is clear that when Christ died, he established the onset of the new covenant. And that is why the New Testament writers say that the old covenant is done away with. Jesus nailed it to his cross, took it out of the way, and therefore he established the new covenant. The new covenant was first promised during the prophecies of Jeremiah. It is repeated verbatim in the book of Hebrews, as I just told you. You can look at it in Jeremiah 31. You can see it in Hebrews 8. By definition, in order for God to speak of a new covenant, there must of necessity have been an old covenant. And that contrast is described for us in Hebrews 8.13 and in 2 Corinthians 3.6-8. The proof that the writer of Hebrews gives us that there is a qualitatively new covenant is that he says there's been a change of the priesthood. There's a change in the law. There's a change in everything that established the old covenant. The old covenant is identified for us. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to identify it. It is identified as the law of Sinai, which was given to Moses when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. That's plainly said in Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, Corinthians 3. The new covenant was established and in effect after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's why he referred to the cup as the new covenant in his blood. The new covenant is superior in every aspect to the law of Moses. It is a better covenant promise based on better blood, based on a better priesthood. And the law of Moses was a covenant struck between God and Israel only. Historically and theologically, Gentiles were never under that law. Are we pretty clear about the new covenant, old covenant distinction now? Yeah. Okay. Where do you find tithing in the Bible. Do you find it taught ever once in the New Testament? No, no you don't. And this is really important. This is really vital. Hang on to this. Because tithing had been taught to and administered to Israel at Mount Sinai, if Paul expected Gentiles to tithe, he would have had to teach them to do that. And in none of his writing, ever once, 
does he ever teach them to do that rather what he does is exactly what we saw last week he says things like every man as he purposes in his heart so let him give that is the absolute antithesis of tithing tithing does not say eh, it's up to you tithing says it is absolute in a moment we're going to look at how absolute it was you're going to get some sense of what real tithing was what biblical Old Testament Old Covenant tithing was and then I would like you to compare genuine biblical tithing to what passes for tithing in so many churches these days because most of the churches that are teaching tithing have accomplished two terrible things number one they have put their congregation under the law again they have taken their congregation back to the old covenant again and as James tells us if you're going to practice any one part of the law then you are obligated a debtor to keep the whole of the law and if you miss it in any one point you're guilty of the whole law and everybody who has ever been placed under old covenant tithing is guilty of some other part of the law therefore the teaching of tithing is doing nothing but condemning human beings under the guise of watching for their souls am I being too harsh yet the second thing they're doing is that they are misteaching their congregation the truth of the Bible and the reason I'm saying that is because of how I began this morning that speech about you all being robbers that I have heard so very many times completely undermines the concept of grace and you can only be saved by grace and so if you are taking your congregation back to the law to be justified back to the law in order to establish your righteousness and to get some benefit from God then you are guilty of the very thing Paul says you have fallen from grace Christ is no longer any help to you so why do people do it why do churches insist on tithing sometimes it's just ignorance you go into some churches and you'll hear them when it's time to take up the collection they'll say put in your tithes and offerings and they don't make a distinction between tithes and offerings and they just assume that tithes and offerings means whatever you choose to put into the plate but most of the other churches that teach tithing are doing it for a very simple reason they need the money and the best way to beat money out of people is to make them afraid and the best way to make people afraid is to tell them God is going to get them and if you don't give your tithes he won't rebuke the devourer for your sake you are missing out on the blessings that are going to fall from the windows of heaven to you and God is going to curse you with a curse if you don't give at least 10% of your income because we have an overextended budget and we can't make our bills this month and we can't keep going if we don't insist on you giving us that money I was reading just this week because I actually did look I, I looked for several days at various different defenses of tithing that are online 
because I wanted to open this morning by reading one of them to you. I wanted to read you a pro-tithing sermon so that you could hear the way that people misrepresent tithing. And I couldn't find one that I was comfortable with, and so I just sort of made up my own here. But I found one defense of tithing, and the argument truly, genuinely was, it is impossible for the leaders of your church to budget if we don't know how much money is coming in. Therefore, tithe. So many churches with the great big edifices and the over-the-top budgets, they're so far in debt. They just they have to keep beating you over the head for money. And that is the reason that they go for the tithe, because that is the easiest way to systematically teach people to keep giving and giving and giving. I read one sermon that said, tithes are just training wheels in order to teach you how to give so that once you're used to giving 10%, you can then learn to give more than that, but 10% is the bare minimum you should be giving because it works like training wheels. That's very different than every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. So there is so much misinformation. There is so much bad teaching when it comes to the subject of money in the church. As I said last week, there are people who are afraid to darken the door of a church because they're so afraid that the church is going to try to pick their pocket. And that's not the purpose for the church. That's not the reason for the church. The reason for the existence of the church is to teach people the good news. And there's nothing good about God is just waiting for you to trip up so he can get you. And if you don't give your 10%, you're dead. That's not good news. The good news is God has already done everything necessary to save you. And once his Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, takes up residence in your heart, then you are most naturally going to become a gracious giver. Because everything about new covenant salvation, new covenant worship, and new covenant church has to be based in grace. Grace, Christian assembly. (laughs) Salvation by grace. It all has to be grace. You can't say You know, it's 98% grace, and you're justified by the grace of God. You're sanctified by the grace of God. You're saved by the grace of God. But when it comes to giving, we're going to the law. To be consistent, you have to say, it's about grace, and it's all of grace. So let's talk about what the tithe actually is, and then we will talk about a couple of the more common arguments where people will say, yeah, yeah, I know it's old covenant But, turn to Numbers, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Turn to Numbers 18, and that will describe the first tithe to you. Did you know, by the way, that in the Old Testament economy, there are three tithes? First, you give 10% of your total income, then you give 10% of what you have left over, and then you have 10% of what's left over after that. There are actually three tithes. I'm going to show you all three of them this morning. By the way, did you know that the Bible says that your tithe belongs to you and you should eat it? 
Nobody ever tells you that. When we were in the church out in Los Angeles, we were never taught, eat your tithes. But I'm also going to show you that this morning. And then there is a third tithe for the widows and for the poor. That's the tithe for Israel's storehouse. That's an every third year tithe. So when you add all that up together, along with your first fruits and your offerings and your sheave offerings and your wave offerings and your drink offerings, when you add all that up, you're looking at about 40% of your total income that you had to bring to the temple on a regular basis. So if somebody's letting you off the hook for just 10%, thank your lucky stars that they never really read the Bible. <laughs> Leviticus 27.30 says, I'll just read you this real quick. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the land, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. That becomes the establishment phrase that tithing preachers use in order to say all the tithe belongs to God. And if you have it in your wallet, if you have it in your pocket, and you didn't give it to God, that is the proof positive that you are a thief and a robber because you haven't given God his money. It is his money because all the tithe belongs to the Lord. See how this works? See the chicanery that goes on in too many churches? Numbers 18.21. This is what is known as the Levitical tithe because its whole purpose was to support the Levites. As you may recall, when the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, the night that they left Egypt, God killed all the firstborn of Egypt. As a consequence, God said that all the firstborn of Israel, those that he did not kill, belong to him. And then he decided that he would take one of the tribes of Israel in exchange for all the firstborn of Israel, and that was the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi was then conscripted into service, basically, so that they would serve in the temple of God. They would do the work of the worship of God on a daily basis so that all Israel didn't have to go do that work. They were all covered by the work that the Levites continually did. The Levites didn't get any land. They didn't get any land inheritance within Israel. So as a consequence... Since they weren't out there doing the farming and raising the crops and bringing in the sheep and the oxen, as a consequence, all of the other tribes of Israel had to provide for the upkeep of the Levites. And the way that God guaranteed that they would be taken care of was by imposing a tax on the other tribes for the tribe of Levi. That tax, that 10%, is the tithe, the Levitical tithe. Now, by the way, that idea of 10% was not an unknown idea there in the Middle East. That 10% tithe actually predates the law of Moses and the tithing establishment. Kings very frequently would require 10% of all the income of the land for themselves. And that idea has carried through the ages. Have you listened to some of the advocates of the flat tax here in America lately? 
Yeah, and what is the basic unit that the flat tax is based on? How much of your income do they think is appropriate for absolutely everybody? 10%, the tithe. That's just normal thinking for most governments. You start at 10%. You go up from there, but 10%. And that, by the way, if I can mention it ahead of time, and then we're going to get back to it in a moment, but that is the reason that Abraham, when he came back from the war on the plains with the kings, after he had wiped out the kings of the plains, when he saw Melchizedek, he gave him 10% of all the stuff he took from the other kings. That was the king's tithe. That was the king's 10%. So this was a known practice in the Middle East. The Levitical tithe, this is what it says. Numbers 18, starting at verse 21. To the sons of Levi, behold, I have given all the tenth in Israel, all the tithe for an inheritance in return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. The sons of Israel shall not come near the tent of meeting again, or they will bear sin and die. Only the Levites shall perform the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the sons of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, you shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. Okay, there's the establishment of the Levitical tithe. 10% of everything the other tribes made goes to the Levites. Turn over to Deuteronomy, if you would now. Deuteronomy 14. Between the verses 22 and verse 29, you're going to see both the tithe for the feast, which is the one you eat, by the way, and the tithe for the poor, which is the one that goes into Israel's storehouse. You find them both established in this passage. So I'm going to read those seven verses, those eight verses, so that you can understand what these tithes were. And I will emphasize yet again, Eat your tithes. God did not want Israel the three times a year that they were required to come to Jerusalem to have a feast before him. This was a time of great joy, great celebration. They were supposed to come and eat and drink before the God they loved who had provided for them and to guarantee that everybody who came there would have ample amount in order to feast and to drink and to have a jolly time, over the course of the year they had to lay aside 10% of what they had so that when they went to the feast three times a year, they had ample food to eat, plenty of food to eat. And then if it turned out that your journey to Jerusalem was too far for you to take 10% of all your stuff that you had collected for the last few months? If it turned out that was too many animals and more sacks of grain than you could actually carry, you were allowed to sell that and then take the money in your hand, take it to Jerusalem, and spend it on whatever you wanted. In fact, it says, food, strong drink. 
anything you want. Why? Because God was throwing a party. People don't think of the feasts of the Lord as being celebrations, but that's exactly what they were meant to be. And God didn't want people to show up empty-handed. That's what the second tithe was for. Again, eat your tithe. I've never, I've never, I've never, I'm going to underline this, underscore it, big, bold font, bright blue letters, just I've never been in a church ever, ever that told me to eat my tithes. Instead, they said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, you robber. <laughs> Deuteronomy 14, I'm going to start reading at verse 22. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God. There it is. You eat your tithe. At the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. If the distance is so great for you that you are not able to bring the tithe, since the place where the Lord chooses to set his name is too far away from you, by the way, that place turns out to be Jerusalem. That's the place that the Lord set his name. That's why they had to come to Jerusalem three times a year. But if that was too far away for you, if that was too far from you, when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money and bind the money in your hand and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses and you may spend that money for whatever your heart desires. For oxen, for sheep, that means for meat, things to eat. For wine, for strong drink, or whatever your heart desires. And there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And also, you shall not neglect the Levite who is in your town, for he has no portion or inheritance among you. So the reference to the Levites is, remember your Levitical tithe. But the second tithe is, store up your grain, the increase, whatever you have, so that when you come before the Lord, you have plenty to eat and celebrate before him. If it's more than you can carry to Jerusalem, sell it for money, bring the money to Jerusalem, buy whatever you want. I like that rule. I like God saying, you know what? This is a good financial idea. Put aside 10% of everything you have and everything you make, and three times a year spend it on whatever your heart desires. I've never heard tithing taught that way. But it's exactly what the Bible says. If you were actually teaching biblical tithing, that's what you'd be teaching. First, 10% for the Levites. Okay, let's check this for just a moment. Uh, anybody here a Levite? No? Anybody here working in the tent of meeting? No? Okay, so then why do churches insist that when you bring 10% of your income to them that somehow that's fulfilling the Levitical tithe. There aren't any Levites. 
And the church, get this right, oh, I've heard this my whole life. The church is not the storehouse. The storehouse is what we're going to read next. Because God is a gracious and a kind and a loving God, he made sure that within Israel there were actual storehouses where you could store up grain where the widows and the fatherless and the poor could come to get food. Here's what it says. We're still in Deuteronomy 14, starting at verse 28. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year, and you shall deposit it in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien and the orphan and the widows who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So the third year tithe was for you to bring a tenth of what you had to put in the storehouse so that the poor within Israel would have something to eat. Okay, do you understand what real biblical tithes are? There are three of them. There's the Levitical tithe. There's the tithe in order to go to the feast. I call that the eat your tithe. <laughs> but that's the tithe for the feast. And then there was the third year tithe for the poor for Israel's storehouse. And bringing a mere 10% to your local church is not the storehouse in Israel. Nor are you laying up some of your produce so that the poor in your area can come and readily take of it and eat of it. In fact, most of the time when you give 10% to a church, it goes to buying more lights and fog machines. It's not going to the poor. But if you're doing biblical tithing, that tithe is for the poor. You understand me? Do you understand the difference between what's called tithing in so many churches and what the Bible actually teaches about tithing? That's why so many of the pro-tithing churches won't ever teach their congregation what biblical tithing actually is because biblical tithing would undermine their demand for 10% of everything you have. In Deuteronomy 12, by the way, it also says, but you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish his name there for his dwelling. And there you shall come and there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there also you and your households shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So now it's been said more than once, eat your tithes. I want a bumper sticker and a t-shirt. We're going to start a movement in the church world that says, eat your tithes. Because that's what the Bible teaches and it doesn't teach that the church is to give the Levitical tithe. Have you read any New Testament book, any New Testament author anywhere, writing to Gentiles, instructing the Gentiles that within the church they are to support the Levitical tithe? 
no you've never read that because there are no Levites in the church and then the church is not the storehouse so the only legitimate tithe that could possibly exist from the Old Testament imported into the New Covenant Church, the only one that could feasibly exist would be the one where you get together regularly to eat and celebrate before God. That's the only one that has any kind of bearing on the New Testament. So all I'm saying is every man according as he purposes, so let him give to the work of the church. But tithing is never taught in the New Testament. It is never instructed to the Gentile churches. They would have to be taught it. They don't know it. They would have to be taught to tithe to the church. And none of the New Testament authors ever teach that. Now, is it okay with me if you have decided by yourself? Or more importantly, is it okay with God if you by yourself have determined that the level of giving you're going to do is 10% of everything you make, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine if that's what you've purposed in your heart. If you've decided that it's 5%, if you've decided that it's going to vary week to week depending on how God has blessed you, whatever method your heart is okay with, as long as you are giving joyfully, as long as you are giving graciously, as long as you are giving in order to declare the value of God in your life, that is a sweet savor aroma that sends this wonderful scent into the nostrils of God because you are sacrificing because of the value of God and his word. And that is gracious new covenant giving. And it has, let me put a fine point on this, it has nothing to do with tithing. Why am I so adamant about this? Because as Tom and I have already said, we lived under the strictures of adamant tithing for years. And all it ever taught me was that God was out to get me. And it didn't teach me joy. And I'll give you a quick example. Okay, this is a true example. Not a word of a lie to it. Tom can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm not. <laughs> there was a fellow who scratched a lottery ticket and won $100,000 and was told he had to give it all to the church because that was the first time he had won the lottery and that made it first fruits. Not a word of a lie. He was willing to give 10,000 of it because he thought that was his tithe. He thought he was off the hook at 10,000 until he was instructed he had to give the whole thing. You think that made him happy? You think he went home skipping and <laughs> humming about the joy of the Lord? He resented it. And by the way, he left. No. He left that church, didn't he? He did. Okay. Okay, now, after everything I have said, there are people who are going to argue. You can go online right now. You can read defense of tithing articles, as I have done, and you're going to see the same basic arguments come up again and again. 
the variation that you're going to see is just the emotion of the person who's writing, who will very often come up with emotional reasons for tithing, like the one I mentioned earlier. How's the leadership of your church supposed to be able to budget if they don't know how much is coming in, therefore you ought to tithe? What a silly argument that is. But the quote-unquote biblical arguments that they're going to make, I want to just quickly look at so that we can do away with them because I am all about freedom and grace. And after the bondage that Tom and I grew up with, Jeff will tell you, because he was here in the early days. In the early days when I got here, I was just, I was fit to be tied. I was just grace, 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 and freedom! Freedom in Christ, because I had lived under such astounding bondage under the guise of Christianity. I have tempered a little bit, but, on, but not on this topic. Because far too many Christians are still living under the bondage of the law because they are taught to tithe. And it's not doing them any good. You're not getting any benefit from it. Let me say this as clearly as I can possibly say it. You're not gaining any eternal spiritual value from God because you're giving a tithe according to the old covenant. It's doing you no good whatsoever, and there are all these people who are fooling themselves into believing that God really likes them because they are systematically tithing. And the opposite is true. Too harsh? No, not harsh enough. I'm all about freedom in Christ. Christ walked, walked around saying things like, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And then the church of Jesus Christ can't wait to put people back in bondage. No. Not while I'm breathing. Not in this building. Not with this Bible. Okay, people will say to you, well, the reason that we tithe is because Jesus himself advocated for tithing. Have you heard that one? Jesus said you should tithe. When the subject of tithing comes up, he said, well, this you should have done. So therefore, Jesus advocated tithing. Okay, several problems. First of all, he didn't say that to the church. He said it to the Pharisees. He said it in Matthew 23, in the midst of calling them a brood of vipers. In the midst of telling them that they would compass land and sea to make one proselyte and then they would make him twice the child of hell that they were. It was in that context of condemning the Pharisees that he says this. This is Matthew 23, 23, which starts with, woe to you. That's not a good thing. When Jesus starts his statement with, woe to you. That doesn't mean the next thing he says to you is a positive up, up, up with people statement. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, by the way, scribes and Pharisees would have been under the law of Moses. That's what they were advocating for. 
and they were under the old covenant. Remember that the new covenant didn't come into being until Christ actually poured out his blood, the blood of the new covenant. So you have the scribes and the Pharisees who are under the old covenant, who are adhering to the law of Moses, who are absolute legalists. Should they have been tithing? Yeah. Yeah. Leon gave me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of obvious. Yeah, they should be tithing. Jesus admits that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Those were all just small seeds. What he's saying is you're so meticulous with your tithe that you'll sit down and count how many seeds you have of every one of these to make sure it's exactly 10%. And you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. This is a condemnation of them. This is not a compliment to them. Oh, you're very picky about how you tithe, and yet you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. That's a big deal. If you don't know anything about mercy and you don't know anything about the justice of God or the faithfulness of God, but you're very good about tithing, that is not a compliment to you. It's within that context, within that condemnation that Jesus says, but these are the things you should have done, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and done without neglecting the others. Does it sound, based on that statement, like Jesus was telling the church to tithe? Because that's how it's read. People say, well, Jesus advocated tithing. Yes, he advocated tithing to the people who should have been tithing. And he was condemning them as he did it. He used their tithe to condemn them. Does that sound like an advocation for tithing within the church? No, it's clearly not. Luke 11 is the parallel passage, starting at verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things that you should have done, justice and the love of God. That's what you should have done. These are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, yeah, you should have tithed because you're under the tithing ordinance. It's part of the law of God, and you're under the law of God. So you should have done that. Yes, fine. But you also should have done the rest of it. And the stuff that you neglected was the stuff like justice and the love of God. The stuff you did was the stuff anybody could do. Divide up a tenth of things. That's math. Anybody can do that. But the love of God and the justice of God that's what you neglected. So is this a compliment to them? Is this an, is this an advocacy of them? No, because the very next phrase says, woe to you, Pharisees. He started with woe to you. He ends with woe to you. He is not complimenting them. He is judging them. Woe to you, Pharisees. For you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Does that sound like Jesus was saying, church tithe? No. 
No, it's just the very opposite. He was condemning the very people who were under the tithing regulation. He was condemning them for not understanding the real true nature of God. That, by the way, is the only place where Jesus mentions tithing. The other place that tithing is mentioned in the New Testament that everybody will run to, and I've already mentioned it, is when Abraham is returning from the war with the kings of the plains, and he gives 10% of what he takes from the kings to Melchizedek. We can read it in Hebrew 7, and we're going to. We're going to read all 10 verses so that we can see whether or not this passage at any point says, and now the church should tithe. Is this teaching tithing, or is it teaching something else? I'm here to tell you it teaches something completely other. What it teaches is the absolute superiority of Jesus Christ in that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses were all in the loins of Abraham when he showed obeisance to Melchizedek, demonstrating that Melchizedek's priesthood is superior to the priesthood of the Levites. That's what's being proved. It's not about tithing. It's about who's superior. Here's what it says. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham appointed a tenth part of all the spoils. He was, first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man, this Melchizedek, was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi, the priesthood that would come along later, those indeed of the sons of Levi who are the ones who received the priest's offering, they do have a commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren. Although those brethren, although these very ones, are descended from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from them, that's Melchizedek, he collected a tenth from Abraham and he blessed the one who had the promises. In other words, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. But without any dispute, the lesser, that's Abraham, is blessed by the greater, that's Melchizedek. So in this case, in other words, the writer of Hebrews is saying, at this moment in time, as he was writing, in the case of the Levites, in this case, mortal men received tithes, but in that case, one received them, of whom it is witness that he lives on, that he lives forever. And so to speak, through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Did any part of that say, so the church should now tithe? 
No, this whole argument is about the fact that Abraham paid tenths to Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed Abraham, proving that Melchizedek is superior to Abraham, and that Levi, who later on would receive tithes in accordance with the law, nevertheless paid tithes through Abraham to Melchizedek, proving that Melchizedek had a superior priesthood to Levi, and therefore Jesus Christ, when he's on the planet, didn't come after the tribe of Levi. He came after the tribe of Judah, and he is after the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is the superior priesthood. Got it? That's not a, a lesson on how the church ought to tithe. The mention of tithes is secondary to the whole story. It's just simply that Abraham gave tenths to Melchizedek. Now, if you are going to argue, and, and you can go online right now and you can read this, I'm not making it up. If you're going to argue that Abraham paid tenths and that proves that tithing is before the law and therefore the church ought to tithe because tithing is some kind of morally superior creation ordinance kind of idea that predates the law and that becomes the reason why the church ought to tithe then okay the church ought to tithe exactly the way that Abraham did how did Abraham tithe well first off he did it once and that was it and his kids didn't do it and his grandkids didn't do it Nobody of his descendants did it again until the law was established. So hundreds of years of nobody tithing because Abraham did it once. So I would say everybody pick a representative and then that representative can go to your church and go tithe once. But wait. Should he tithe of his own stuff, of his own substance? Not if he does it the way Abraham says to do it, because Abraham didn't give anything that was his own. He didn't give anything of his own substance. He gave a tenth of the spoils he took from the kings he had just conquered. So he gave a tenth of the spoils. Exactly right. So if... You're going to do the Abrahamic kind of tithing. If you're going to say tithing predates the law and so we need to tithe because Abraham did, well, then you need to do it like Abraham, which means the first thing you have to do is go out and kill a bunch of kings. And then (laughs) precisely. And then after you kill the kings, you have to take a spoil off those kings, which, by the way, the reason that Abraham went and took the spoil off those kings is because the kings had come and taken a spoil from other kings of the plains who actually lived in the area that Abraham lived in. So he was actually just defending his own land and his own cousin and Lot's property. That's the whole reason that he did it. And then he took a spoil from those kings and brought it back, which is what you would have to do. And then you would have to get this right, meet Melchizedek because it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be good enough for you to just take a tenth to your church because your church is not Melchizedek. You would have to meet the king of Salem and then give him a tenth of the spoil that you took but not give him a tenth of anything that actually belonged to you before you went and whipped up on the kings. 
that my friends is Abrahamic tithing so if you're going to use Abraham's one-time tithe as a defense of tithing because it predates the law then you ought to do it the way Abraham did it and that is not teaching that is not advocating for the church systematically tithing week by week month by month under the threat that God is going to get you if you don't do it do you understand me Clear. do I sound passionate about this Indeed. because I said at the beginning and I'm going to say it again you can read all the Pauline letters Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles and he does not teach the church to tithe it's not in there it's not in there anywhere and so the modern-day advocates of tithing have to make up stuff they have to go to the Old Testament Old Covenant law they have to go to Malachi who was speaking to Israel and even says so and in fact the language of Malachi that I began with God says bring the whole nation your tithes the language is very specific it's the nations the nation of Israel it's the very people that God had redeemed who who God had not killed their firstborn and so they owed God a tithe in order to support the Levites who were doing the constant work of interceding between Israel and God and therefore God could require a tithe from them and the only other argument you can make for tithing if you can't make the old covenant tithe argument because we're under the new covenant if you admit that you're under the new covenant the only other argument you can make is well Jesus mentioned it yes but he mentioned it within the context of condemning the Pharisees and then you say well Abraham did it but yes we just looked at it he did it once and he certainly didn't do it the way that modern-day churches are advocating that you do it grace 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 that's how you're to give that's what giving in the church is all about it's not about tithing you're not Israel and the church is not the storehouse it's especially not Israel's storehouse you were saved by grace you were redeemed by grace you were justified by grace you are in the mind of God already glorified by grace so how should you respond to that by grace and it should be grace that draws you to your knees it should be the grace of God that causes you to praise him and worship him and give thanksgiving to him it should be the grace of God that causes you to love one another and look after each other and care for each other it is the very grace of God that should make you a generous joyful giver because God loves joyful giving and I think I'm done I just don't want anybody to walk out of here fuzzy on the topic of giving and especially fuzzy on the topic of tithing I hope that you could hear my heart through all that because 
I'm not kidding when I say that I grew up in the church and the amount of damage that I have seen done to people, the amount of people who have been driven away from the church because of the way giving is mistaught, misapplied, the way that it is hammered into people and then put like a burden, like a yoke on their shoulders so that people give grudgingly and unhappily and they give the least little bit they can get away with. I've seen people who would have joyously given 20% happily get away with 10% because they were taught the tithe was what they had to give. I heard a fellow one time say, if the Spirit of God is inside you, then you want to give him everything you have, and the tithe is a governor on that so that you only give 10%, because you want to give everything. Boy, there was a backhanded way to get into the tithe. The amount of really, really, really bad teaching that I've heard through the years stuck with me and it's driven me away from the church time and time again and I'll tell you this as long as there is breath in me and as long as GCA's doors are open even if I'm long gone don't you ever let anybody stand here and teach you tithing don't let anybody stand here and teach you anything but grace and if they do try to teach you something else you have my permission to vacate this place. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace Sunday morning message. We invite you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org for weekly updates, books, Q&As, and our ever-expanding audio archive. Join us again next time as we delve into the Word of God and study His sovereign grace.